Hello and welcome everyone to Eyes on the Mize. This is episode 4, our Planeswalker breakdown for the Shadows Over Innistrad Planeswalkers. I'm one of your hosts, John. Joining me on the line is Ian. Hey, what's up? Not much. We, we've we seen this Planeswalkers now, Shadows of Innistrad. Shadows is a big set. There's a lot of cards to talk about. But today we're going to narrow our focus in on probably the marquee cards of any magic set, the Planeswalkers. Oh, yeah. These guys are the splashy ones, the ones that get all the attention, the ones that everyone's like, which walkers are we going to get? What are we going to get walker-wise in this set? Whether it's the story, whether it's for power level reasons, or whether it's just because you like the characters, Planeswalkers just generate so much hype. They're also the cards where if you're unlimited, if you go to the pre-release and you open a Planeswalker, you look good to, look, uh, look to your buddy next to you and just give him a big high five. Or you just go, yo, yo, check it. Yeah. Especially if you get a pre if you get a pre-release foil, then you just oh. run laps around the store. <laughs> I don't know if that's a house rules. It depends on your store really. Yeah. All right. So before we get into the planeswalkers and really dig our fingers into the mechanics of the planeswalkers and what they do and how good we think they're going to be, let's just go ahead and give a little breakdown as to what the Planeswalker cards are, and kind of the history and how they work. So Ian, go ahead and take that away. All right, so Planeswalkers, the whole idea behind them is technically when you're playing, you are a Planeswalker. It's a being in the multiverse of magic that has much greater power than any other creature. Basically, they're able to jump from plane to plane. It's the term Planeswalker. Now, early on in magic stories, basically from its beginning up until around 2007, Planeswalkers were basically gods and would just kill each other. And just fight wars and make life hell on other people in the planes around the multiverse. There was an event that happened in the Time Spiral block called the Mending. We're not going to get into that. Other podcasts have. I know recently Magic the Amateuring just did that, did one on that. So if you want to take, figure out what the, the Mending is, either Google it or go check them out. They did a great job on that one. But after the Mending, it depowered the Planeswalkers. And in the set after that, Lorwyn introduced us to the Lorwyn 5. Now, originally, apparently these were originally intended for Future Sight, but they got pushed back a set. Now, the original ones were Ajani Goldman, Jace Bellerin, Liliana Vess, Chandra Lamar, and Garrick Wildspeaker. And they were the ones who introduced us to these cards. Now, they have many, many abilities. Usually, um, I'll pass over to John for this one. So tell us what usually, what makes a Planeswalker special as compared to, say, just your run-of-the-mill creature. Right, so Planeswalkers are another permanent type. Remember, the permanents are the cards that when you cast them, you go ahead and put them into play. Now, Planeswalkers, they're, they're you. You're calling an ally who's another Planeswalker to help you fight. And the Planeswalker cards have a few things you have to kind of parse. One, they have their mana cost, they have their Planeswalker, and they have a Planeswalker subtype. That subtype is usually their name. And that's where we get the Planeswalker uniqueness rule. In that rule, you can no, you can only have one Planeswalker of each subtype in play at a time. So if I have a Jace, and I play another Jace Planeswalker, I can only keep one. And that also counts for not just one Jace of the same type, but any Jace in general. You could have Jace Bellerin, the original one out, or and then play Jace the, uh, the Mind Sculptor, and you'd have to pick which one you'd want to keep. Exactly. Now... Planeswalkers have a list of abilities. These are called loyalty abilities. It's how loyal you are, how loyal the Planeswalker is to working with you. And when you see the Planeswalker abilities, they'll have a plus or a minus or sometimes even a zero in a little stylized box. If it says plus one or plus three, you add that many what are called loyalty counters to the Planeswalker. If you do minuses, you remove that many loyalty counters from that Planeswalker. When the Planeswalker loyalty hits zero, it goes to the graveyard. And you can't activate an ability of a Planeswalker if you don't have the loyalty to do so. So if you play, say, Soren Grim Nemesis, who has a starting loyalty of six, you can't use his minus nine until you get to that nine loyalty. And usually, they're, like just mentioned with Soren, we'll talk a little bit more about him in a second, that minus nine is what has been referred to as the ultimate. Like, the what's final the, ability. So that when you when you... Get your Planeswalker, you're like, all right, hits the board, what's his loyalty, what's his ultimate? Usually that's like the first thing people do when they see these cards off the bat. It's like, what's its ultimate, what can its most powerful ability do? Sometimes it's not even its most powerful ability. Like, its plus ability could technically be considered one of the better ones. But you need to make sure that when you, when you do that ultimate, that it's not going to mess you over. Yeah. 
A lot of the Planeswalkers have flashy ultimates because they're the final ability on the Planeswalker. Planeswalkers generally have three abilities. There's a few Planeswalkers that break the mold in a few different places, whether they have more or fewer. We had the one from M15. Yeah, there's uh, Garrick, Apex Predator, who had fought, who had uh, four Planeswalker abilities. And if you count Garrick Relentless from the original Innistrad, he technically has five loyalty abilities. Well, we have another one we'll talk about, too. Yes. Well, we that will fits get that to, mold. We will get to her a little bit later. Um, other thing, quick things about Planeswalkers. If you see one on the opposite side of the field, how do you get rid of it? You can attack it with creatures, and you can direct burn spells at the player, and then redirect them to the Planeswalker. Also, anything that affects permanents can affect Planeswalkers, and so on. So it starts as exile non-target, not target non-land permanent. Planeswalker exactly. counts as an exile target. Exactly. So... There are a few quote-unquote rules when you look at Planeswalkers to evaluate them. And these are really the rules that really started off when we looked at the original batch of Planeswalkers and then we went to the Planeswalkers from Shards of Alara, the next set that had Planeswalker cards in them. So what are the rules? The first rule is, does it impact the board? When you play your Planeswalker and you use one of its abilities that is available to you on this first turn, can it impact the board? So when it, what it means by impact in the board is we mentioned it usually has three abilities. Usually it'll have a plus, maybe a zero, maybe a low number minus of something. Maybe two, it's usually minus one or minus two. And then its ultimate will be anywhere from like minus four to minus nine. It's kind of crazy. So usually what you're going to look at is when it impacts the board, you're not looking at that ultimate. Ultimate is just, that's another thing we'll get to when these things you look at. But you want to look at is its plus ability relevant when it lands? Is its minus ability relevant when it lands? Exactly. Now, alongside that same impact the board, does it protect itself? Planeswalkers generate incremental advantage, which generally puts them into the firm camp of mid-range to control cards. It's very difficult to have a, a good, aggressive Planeswalker. But it, can the Planeswalker protect itself? Do I need to expose resources or expend resources from my own cards to protect this Planeswalker. A Planeswalker who did this in spades, Elspeth Sun's champion, who made three 1-1 one, one soldiers as a plus ability, which seemed very innocuous at the time. But oh, it, turned out, it turned out that she was just a house, and it was so difficult to deal with her because she put three blockers in the way. She was a format-defining card. You had to have a flyer to take care of her or... If you want to know how good she was, go look at the Journey into Nyx Pro Tour, the last block-constructed Pro Tour. And every deck was either an Elspeth deck or a deck designed to beat Elspeth. Yeah, no joke. it was – it warped the format. It warped the format completely around it. Now, the third rule, and the rule that comes up a little bit less often, is if, my, if this Planeswalker is just unmolested, it is not touched at all, can it win the game? Now, with that – I did mention the ultimate, and usually that's what can win you the game, if unchecked. However, like we just mentioned, Elspeth, she could run rampant with her abilities, like just continuously plus it up, continuously just make a ton of blockers, and then eventually you'll just overwhelm your opponent's board and go, eh, swing in, win. And that's not even talking about her other two abilities. She oh, can yeah. just overrun the board with just her plus ability. Exactly. Exactly. It's like... When you have that kind of card, it's why she was considered so good. Even at six mana, she was just insane because she impacted the board right away. She got her blockers. She protected herself with those blockers. And if left unchecked because she had so many blockers, she would just overwhelm your opponent. Exactly. Now, let's go ahead and curtail that into the first Planeswalker we're going to talk about today, who's also six mana, who's also a white Planeswalker in Soren Grim Nemesis. So, Ian, give me the breakdown of Soren. What or what do we see when we look at Soren? All right, like you mentioned, we got a six casting cost creature. Now, what you're going to get is four generic mana, white and a black. So you need it's a white black colored uh, identity. It comes down. He lands on the board with six starting loyalty, which is pretty good value. You know, six loyalty for six, just fine right there. So he's got a plus one ability of reveal top card of your library. Opponent loses its life equal to its casting cost, or converted casting cost. Not bad. Minus X. Soren Grim Nemesis deals X damage to target creature or planeswalker, and you gain X life. So he lands on six. You can just go minus six and kill him, and just blow something up to gain six life. That works. His ultimate at minus nine is put a number of 1-1 black vampire knight creature tokens with lifelink 
onto the battlefield equal to the highest life total among all players. When we look at the whole can it win the game if unchecked, that minus nine pretty much puts a big old check mark right next to that. Unless you're both at one. Unless you're both at one. But at that point, you're probably not using his minus nine. Yeah, so you can hit him. So what when you look at that minus nine is you can if if you curve out properly, you can hit him on turn six, plus one him till turn till turn nine, and then turn ten, blow him up. So John, how does a deck playing at a six mana card like that get to turn ten? So a six mana card usually is only the the is only in control or very or very late minded mid range decks. So a deck that people have latched to early on in the spoiler season is a white-black control deck featuring Soren Grim Nemesis. Now, what Soren does is he draws you a card. His plus one ability draws a card, and that's very, very beneficial in any control strategy. Now, in a white-black control deck... No, it, it doesn't, doesn't draw. It just reveals it. No, you put it into your hand. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, Dude. reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand. It's the reverse Bob effect, Bob being Dark Confidant. So... He is. He draws you a card. It is very, very powerful to just to give you a, a a thing in play that just says, you know what? Anytime I want, I'm just going to draw a card, and then you get the gravy where you can make your opponent lose life equal to its converted mana cost. So let's say that you're playing an Esper Control deck. You play Soren. You plus Soren. You look at the top card of your library. Oh, it's a Dragonlord Ojutai. It's CMC is five. Take five opponent. That's oh, pretty and good. Get, and get into my hand. And get into my hand. By the so, way, opponent. Guess what's coming down on the board next turn? <laughs> that too. Now, Soren's plus one is very funny because currently in standard there are these these Eldrazi cards. I don't know if you've heard of them, but there's Ulamog and Kozlik, both of which are 10 mana cards. And there's this card called um, Conduit of Ruin that when you cast it, you get an Eldrazi from your deck that's CMC 7 or greater and put it on top. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of this yet. It's kind of a combo. <laughs> that sounds hilarious, and I love it. It does. Now, Soren's plus ability does not protect himself. It does relatively impact the board because you can start hitting your opponent for serious amounts of life total. So, well, And you're you also flip- getting you're getting slight card advantage, but at the it's the card advantage that you would get from like we have with Corsair Crucifix. Your opponent also is gonna gain some knowledge out of it. Yeah. It's gonna they're gonna know what you have in your hand when you plus it. Exactly. Now does he protect himself? Well, the minus X does that. Now, he starts at 6, so he can deal 6 right away if you, if you really excuse me, if you really need him to. Plus, you gain X life, which is a very relevant thing to do in a control deck because when you're in a control deck and you face the mono red deck, because you're going to face the mono red deck, because there's always a mono red deck. Especially early there, in the format. Especially early in the format, especially when you just have a rotation. And you sit down and you look at turn 6 and you are at... 8 life, you are staring down 8 power on the board, and you go Soren Grim Nemesis, minus 6, kill whatever, gain 6 life. Hell, you might be facing down something that only needed to do X minus 2 to, but at the, remember, no matter how much damage overkill it's got, it's still going to do that. Yeah, you're still going to gain the X life. Uh, this is actually a card, Death Grasp, from Old Magic, which you might know from, from more recent Commander expansions, if you're familiar with those products. What what I find nice about his plus and minus though is the plus one goes to the dome of your opponent and his minus one can't. Yeah, I actually so had like, somebody ask why can't Soren hit opponents, and it's kind of like if Soren could hit opponents, he would be four white black, deal six to an opponent, gain six, and that's a twelve point life swing. Siege Rhino, which is leaving the format, is a six point life swing, and it's already oppressive. Yeah. A a 12-point life swing is just way too much for basically any format. Yeah. And then the minus 9, we kind of already talked about it a little bit. We've got make the 1-1 black vampires with lifelink. Vampire, the more relevant subtype in in this example than the knight. But who knows? We'll see what future sets have to offer. Also, the fact that it's highest life total among all players is very relevant for, say, commander play. And also, if you're in that control mirror and your opponent has 30 life and you're at 28 life, you go, I want to make 30 vampires that are 1-1s. Go. <laughs> oh, by the way, I gain 30 life next turn. If you're not dead. Because yeah, I'm attacking them for lethal. Because even if I, ha- if I have a higher life total, then I'm still attacking them for lethal. Yeah. It's great. Soren makes an army of vampires that are equal to lethal in play. It's, it's awesome. He is very, very strong. So, Ian, where do you think he's going to fit in? 
Um, like you mentioned, the the white black control deck, possibly Esper, which is white black blue. I, he's gonna see play, just like the one that's rotating out, which was Soren Solemn Soren Solemn Visitor did. I just don't know where exactly he's gonna fit. Yeah, it's, my, it's, my, yeah, it's just I I don't. My big thing with Soren is he is six mana. Six mana is a lot. I don't think he's as good as Elspeth, and I don't think they're gonna make a six mana planeswalker that that was as good as Elspeth was. He doesn't protect himself in a way that you want, and I don't think he's a, the best Soren. Like he's not better than Solemn Visitor, who's leaving. He's not better than Lord of Innistrad, who's n- been nowhere near a standard format in years. It really depends on how good the black-white control deck is going to be, because you, you're going to have a bunch of the fight. You're going to have the five-mana wrath. You're going to have languish in the deck. It really depends on how good that deck is going to be. Yeah, I can see him maybe getting into some sort of token control deck. Because remember, we still have Secure the Wastes. We still have uh, Gideon. Yep. We so, still have a lot of really, really I mean, powerful cards. Yeah. It, it's just where he's going to fit. I don't think he's going to be a four of, for sure. No. I mean, if, if he sees the four of, then I'll leave my words on that one. But I just don't think it's six. He, he'll, he'll be a four of like Elspeth was. Well, Chandra is currently a four of, and she is definitely a... Okay. Chandra's one of those that's just like, I'm going to stick it and I'm going to bash your face. Yeah. This Chandra. is more of slow, steady, let's tick up so I can actually just destroy you kind yeah. of thing. Chandra Flamecaller is a good Planeswalker in Standard. If you don't have your copies, you should have gotten them a while ago. She's now $20 a piece. It's ridiculous. You missed the boat. Anyways. But, so we were kind of mentioning an Esper control or maybe a white-black. Usually controls we'll see anywhere from white-black to... White, blue, black to blue, black or white, blue. And our next guy, I don't know if he fits in those things. Yeah. But what we, we have up next, Jace Unraveler Secrets. And John, let us know about the latest iteration of everybody's favorite, quote unquote, favorite planeswalker. Yes, Jace Unraveler of Secrets. He is three blue, blue for a five loyalty planeswalker. Nice. That's a solid loyalty for five mana. Plus one is scry one, then draw a card. Okay, I get to I get to look up card in my deck. If I like it, I draw it. If I don't, I can put it away and draw a random card. That's fine in a blue deck. His minus two is unsummon, return target creature to its owner's hand. Okay, so he can he could bounce a creature twice, and then you have to start scrying and drawing a card. So that's that's kind of relevant. This is minus eight is you get an emblem with. Whenever an opponent casts his or her first spell each turn, counter that spell. This Jace is probably the most bland Jace they have printed since Jace has been around. Jace, the blue planeswalker, you could literally just take Jace off of this. And I, I know they printed Jace because he's integral to the story of Shadows of Rainer's Drive, But this could be Joe Schmo, blue planeswalker from Plain X. I think this could literally be a Tamio. This card could have been a Tamio. Maybe a different mine. Maybe a different ultimate. Uh, no, I think that, so, this emblem is very reminiscent of a card from original Kamigawa called Arayo, who was a flip card, who yeah. transformed into a enchantment with that text on it, that whenever an opponent, whenever a player casts their first spell in turn, you counter it. Okay, I can I think definitely... It would be, I, I think that the flavor of having the Arayo text on a Tamiyo em- emblem would be really powerful, especially when you consider her previous emblem was you have no maximum hand size, and whenever you put a card into your graveyard, you put it into your hand. Yeah. That okay. So yeah, that definitely does sound like it's weird. They templated it almost for Tamio, but ended up as a Jace. Yeah. Now, don't go right. So he he does satisfy the conditions we mentioned, which is nice. Yeah. He he protects himself with his minus ability, which is not ideal. He does provide incremental advantage, and even if you just plus one him forever, that's an extra draw that you're getting every turn, and you're putting dead cards in the bottom and drawing random cards. Even just as plus one, you can you can run away with a game in a blue control deck because that's really where Jace wants to be. It's really hard to make a Jace that does not belong in a control deck. And if you ever get Have the emblem, one? the only one I could think of would be the um, would be Friends Prodigy, who can go Whoa. in basically any blue deck. That is true. Of course, I asked that question and think instantly. Oh right, I played him in my prowess deck. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a two mana Jace. If you haven't heard, he's pretty good. Now the this Jace very bland. Very generic. Is he good enough for standard? That's the big question. The fact that it's minus two unsummon is is kind of a is kind of a wash. He's gonna against the red deck. He's gonna get hit. He's probably gonna die. 
it really depends on what, what does the is there a blue deck that wants him. Also, you also have to look at it's something to evaluate. We can't really figure out right now because you know they're still revealing spoilers and stuff. So you don't know are enter the battlefield effects going to be as prevalent because yeah, yeah I mean granted he's rotating but like siege rhino it's got an ETB trigger on it. You that's don't want to hit. You don't want to hit that ETB trigger again. Yeah, that, that's why Siege Rhino was good because it just entered the battlefield and did a bajillion things. Yeah, you had to kill it. You couldn't bounce it because if you bounced it, you're just gonna have to face it again unless you had a counter spell ready to go. I mean, yeah. that's that's like the corner case where I could see you bouncing a creature that had a massive enter the battlefield effect is if you had the counter spell ready to go. Yeah, and again, you're playing blue. You're gonna play. You're gonna be playing all the counter spells that you have. So it's not like it's. It's something that you're not going to do in a Jace deck. But the big thing is I don't think this Jace is better. I don't think he's going to be good enough for Standard. Plus, he's literally just another version of Obnixilus. Obnixilus Reignited is the same mana cost, the same starting loyalty, a plus one that draws you a card, a minus ability that kills that kills a creature or deals with a creature, and then an ultimate that wins the game. Now, speaking of Obnixilus, I would love to see him paired up with Soren in some white black control deck. I mean, going they're, they're going to be played together, yes. Well, yeah, but I'm saying curving, curving five ob into six Soren seems pretty decent to me. It does. So whether or not Jace is going to see play, I, I'm not entirely sold yet. We'll, we will see. Yeah. So overall, I guess we can just call Jace eh. Yeah, he's kind of meh. It really, I think this Jace is the most unassuming of Jaces. Granted, Vren's Prodigy, nobody saw coming except for the best of the best pros. I th- even then, there were still some pros writing about how this Jace was very mediocre. It's just a merfolk looter. His backside's relatively lackluster. And then everyone's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, Eric Froelich said on Constructed Resources that, wait, you have to pay the mana cost on Jace's minus three? It's terrible. Yeah. Little did we know of repeatable uh, Snapcaster Mage effects are pretty good. Yeah, yeah. So, Anyways. Yeah. We'll see how we'll see how like I think of all the ones we're going to talk about today, he's the one that has the most iffy potential. Yeah, he's the one that will surprise us the most. I think if he's As, good, he'll be he'll be amazing, and we'll be like, why did we miss on Jace? If he's bad, we'll just kind of be like, okay, he was he was a dirtily Jace. He'll, he'll get he'll get relegated to the bin with guild pack Jace. Well, or, the thing is, even even that Jace saw play in standard. He saw play in he saw play in the. Oh no, no, I'm not talking about the set guild pack. I'm talking. No, I know the, li- the living guild pack. Jace, yeah, yeah, Jace the living. He guild even pack. saw play because he was like the very he was the clawing on of the mono blue devotion decks, just trying to stay relevant. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So every every Jace has seen play in standard. This Jace will be no exception. He will see play, whether he's good or not. We don't know yet. Yeah. Let's go ahead and jump down to the planeswalker that won. Our contest or a little poll that we put out yesterday on our Twitter, which you're not following, it's Eyes in the Mize, just that's the handle, Arlen Cord. Yeah, so we're looking at Arlen Cord, and this is the one that I kind of alluded to earlier when we mentioned Planeswalkers with more than three loyalty abilities, even more than four. We'll get to why in a second. So Arlen Cord is a green and a red color identity Planeswalker. You cast her for two, generic, red and green. Four mana. Four mana for a three loyalty Planeswalker. She has two abilities on her front side. That's right. I said front side. She's a flip Planeswalker. Oh, yeah. But her plus one on her front side says, until end of turn, up to one target creature gets plus two, plus two, and gains vigilance and haste. Notably, you don't need to target a creature, but you can target a creature. Correct. The up two is an amazing clause, and I love it. Anyway, her zero ability is put a put a 2-2 two, two green wolf creature token onto the battlefield. So, you know, your typical bear, quote-unquote, kind of creature, 2-2. Two, two. Transform Arlen Cord. Now, transform, if you haven't, weren't used to sets like Innistrad and stuff like that, transform for dual-face cards like Arlen is or the flip walkers we had in Origins, it has two sides. Most werewolves, which in the story Arlen is a werewolf planeswalker, who's mid-age and is freaking awesome. Anyway, you flip her, and her backside is the werewolf side, which is Arlen embraced by the moon. Real quick, I want to go ahead and point out that Arlen is not like the other Planeswalkers from Origins. The Planeswalkers from Origins have to exile themselves so that, so that they can enter the battlefield with loyalty. Arlen does not exile herself and come back. She merely Correct. switches over. 
So when you play, when you use her zero ability and she transforms into Arlen Embraced by the Moon, she will have the exact same amount of loyalty, and you cannot activate one of these abilities on that turn. Correct. Now the reason why this is is not only just because of that, but she's a planeswalker when she comes down, and as a planeswalker on the other side, she doesn't change states or anything like the exile thing. So, because the other, because the flipwalkers from Origins were creatures, and they flip in the planeswalkers, so it's convoluted. People are like, "Oh my gosh!" Because you could infinitely loop her if you did do that. Yeah, we'll see why. Basically. So anyway, on her flip side, it says creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain trample until end of turn. Sounds good to me. Her minus one, Arlen Embraced by Moon, deals three damage to target creature or player. Transform Arlen Embraced by the Moon. Now, that's your typical lightning bolt. Not bad on minus one. Minus six for her ultimate. Now remember, she had a she has a pl- two plus ones, a zero, a minus one, and a minus six. Spr- split across her two sides. Her minus six reads, you get an emblem with creatures you control have haste and tap... This creature deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player. Yeah. She's... She is good. The big thing with Arlen is, and the big thing that the pros have been noting and the very experienced Magic players, is that the trick with Arlen is going to be, what side do you want next turn? That's going to be the trick with Arlen. It's very easy to think, okay, I'm going to play Arlen. And if you're on an empty board, you play Arlen Cord, you, you use her zero, you make the 2-2 wolf, and you, then you transform her. So now you have Arlen Embraced by the Moon for your next turn. So then, it's your turn again. You look at the board. Do you want Arlen Cord next turn, or do you still want Arlen Embraced by the Moon next turn? That's the tension that's going to be going on here with Arlen. Because whether whether you make the wolf and then transform her, and then whether you bolt a creature and then you transform her again, that's the tension that's going to be going on with Arlen. Because the fact that you can't minus one, minus one, minus one to deal nine damage in three consecutive turns is a... Downside? It's not kind an upside. Of, kind of. I mean, well, it, it also really depends on, like you said, it's it's she is trickier than she looks, which I actually kind of like. Um, it does make you think. You need to set her up. She's just she's not a planeswalker that you, she's not kind of a set and forget planeswalker where you can just go, I'm sticking this thing, and she's just going to kick some butt. You need to stick her. She'll kick some butt, but you have to plan out how she's going to kick that butt. Yeah. Um, if you put her on a board, like the, her protection clause, like granted, she, her, her front side is great. Why? She can protect herself with both of her abilities. The zero ability gets her a wolf, puts it in front to have something put in front of Arlen. You can plus one her and it gives the creature vigilance, which means it doesn't tap when it attacks. You can go, I have a creep, like you say, I have a three drop on board, some random old three drop. You could have, I don't know. Let's see. Pick any three drop in standard. Deathness Raptor. Deathness Raptor. Raptor. Seems like it should be played with Deathness Death Raptor personally. So you have Deathness Raptor on the board. Deathness Raptor then becomes a 5 5 death touch with vigilance and haste. That's a house. Seems good to me. Tacking on turn four, by yeah, the way. On, on turn four, a 5 5 vigilance haste. Oh, by the way, he doesn't tap, so he stays there with death touch next turn for whatever your opponent tries to swing back into Arlen on. Seems exactly. good to me. Now, other side is just like a mini little. The miniest of overruns, I guess you could say. It's the smallest overrun you could you could have. But yeah, a plus one, plus one gain trample might not seem a lot, but hey, say you're playing her in a deck that wants to go wild with tokens and stuff like that. Giving everything plus one, plus one just wreaks havoc with combat math for your opponent. Oh yeah. Now, the, the weird tension with Arlen is on her Embraced by the Moon side. So she flips into Arlen, Arlen Embraced by the Moon with three loyalty. How do you not win the game after doing a mini overrun three turns in a row? To get to her ultimate, it's a good question. <laughs> that is the that's the big question with her ultimate because well, her ultimate the, is well, very flavorful. Is, it's very awesome. You, it's not even going to hit on turn seven. Her ultimate will hit on eight because you have to flip her onto the backside first and then get her up to six and then blow her and then blow the loyalty counters. Yeah, it's really the tension with Arlen is very interesting. Now there's going to be a lot of people in, who are going to just assume that her her modes are turn one make a wolf, turn turn two bolt something, turn three make a wolf, turn four bolt something and so on until she has zero loyalty. And that is a turn that is a play pattern that you can have with Arlen. It's just the ten, the tension is really interesting in how do you play her in these red green mid-range decks or red green aggressive decks because that is really what she is going to be in. She's not a control card. She's let me not tell a control you, card. Let me, let me tell you one thing. 
jamming her into the red green ramp decks that still exist and will exist because I think they're losing like one or two cards out of them is going to be hilarious. Yeah, I don't know if she's better than Chandra in that deck, but she is definitely a card that you could. I think she'd be an amazing sideboard card. Oh yeah, like you stick like your uh, your world breaker or any of the giant Eldrazi, and then you go you get her ultimate, and you're just like tap tap that dude, boom you for five. Tap that dude, dome you. Yeah. Or hell, you can even like somehow get her to eight, ultimate, minus, flip her back on the main side, give a creature vigilance, haste, swing with it, then tap it to deal damage. You know what you know what card that Arlen is going to miss the most that's rotating out of standard? Which one? Hordling outburst. Oh yeah. Turn three hoarding outburst, turn four Arlen flip, turn five, plus one plus one trample, swing. That is a that is a curve in, that would have been in standard if 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 Cons was going to stick around, that you would have to be afraid of. But she's losing yeah. it. You still get Dragon Fodder, which is not as good. It's good, but it's not as good. So that's going to be an interesting place to see where Arlen goes. I just find it funny. Not even, not even really necessarily related to Arlen, but some of the pros commenting on Twitter and stuff like that about like, you know, I'm actually kind of happy that we're having these quick rotations now because, namely this was Owen Turnwald talking about how absolutely busted the four-color rally deck we're losing is. But... Just all the cards that would normally still stick around with her, like you said, Hordling Outburst on three. You could go turn, like, you could have turn two, uh, Dragonfire, turn three, Hordling Outburst, turn four, Arlen, Wolf Token, turn five. That's just insane. Yeah. Oh, by the way, you can possibly pump with something like a uh, Titan Strength and then Teamer Battle Rage. It's like, bam. Which is also rotating. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, like, in a hypothetical where we still have cons and fate kind of yeah. thing, you could just do some serious damage and kill your opponent on turn five with this kind of red green aggressive deck. It's like it would be the next evolution of the Atarka red deck. Exactly. Exactly. So that's Arlen is very is very very interesting. A little bit later, we'll get into the biggest debate with Arlen because whether or not Arlen is good is almost not up for debate. It's almost been taken as a default that Arlen is good. She's now the main question is going to be. She's good. Where do we play her? And how good is she? Correct. It's because she, of all the Planeswalkers that we're talking about, they are all pre-ordering at $30 plus, and Arlen is currently pre-ordering for $40. Frankly, I think pre-order prices are a little ridiculous. They are. That's a whole topic for another day entirely. We can get into those kind of finance talks someday. The TLDR is that pre-order prices are always high, and they almost always fall. Immediately after the release, all pre-order prices, all order prices are going to fall. So, just that's the TLDR. Just putting that out there. There are there's all there are always exceptions. Cough, Jace, cough. But well, actually, it was more of a he actually pre-ordered initially at like sixteen, seventeen dollars, dropped to ten, stayed at about ten for a week or two, and then the pro tour happened. Yeah, and then he jumped. Yeah, and so just, just stayed going up. And up and up to ninety plus dollars now. TLDR is basically this. Look at the planeswalkers that were that were in Konzatark here. Look at what they were pre ordering for. Look at the look at what their value is now. Sarkon. Sarkon's a three dollar card. Narset. Uh, she's, she's not rotating though. She's still she's standard. not no, I'm not saying she's not rotating, but she pre ordered at like forty five dollars and, and she's then uh, a ten dollar planeswalker. Yeah. And either way, she's gonna be good. We'll figure out where to put her. I kind of want to play her in some deck. Like, red-green has been kind of my... Like, red-green is my jam on top of, like, red-blue or a control deck. Yeah, Arlen could be good in the in the Atarka red aggro deck. Who knows? So. But she shares a color, though, with our last Planeswalker. Yes, yes, she does. With Nahiri the Harbinger. Not so Harbinger. Harbinger. Oh my, oh, my God. People are going to be prepared to hear the various pronunciations of Harbinger. Yeah, Wizards oh, is never going to learn that mistake. Eh, whatever. It's not really a mistake. It's just one of those things. It's like people are going to mispronounce this, and we're going to be watching the Pro Tour. And if someone, Luis, someone if LSV is not in the finals or not in the top eight, and you see Arlen in play or you see Nahiri in play, he's going to say Nahiri the Harbringer, and you're going to groan and roll your eyes. He's going to do it intentionally, though. Yeah, he does do it intentionally. He knows what he's doing. So he anyway, knows what he's done. That's enough setup. Tell us what the lady does. So Nahiri is two red and a white. She's our second Boros Planeswalker, which is, again, just red-white. She has a starting loyalty of four, and she has three abilities. Her plus two is you may discard a card if you do draw a card. 
which is the red looting effect. Blue gets to draw, then discard, because blue thinks ahead. Red discards first and then draws, because it's like, I don't want this. What's it's this? Been, it's been relatively nicknamed as Rummaging. Yes, it is based off of Rummaging Goblin. She has a minus two, which is exile target enchantment, or tapped artifact, or tapped creature, which some people are really up in arms about for some for some reason. And then her minus eight is the ability that is probably the most flavorful out of any of these planeswalkers, because she is the harbing she's the harbinger, the harbinger. Messing it up already. Search your library for an artifact or creature card and put it onto the battlefield. Then shuffle your library. It, the artifact or the creature, gains haste. Return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. So. Ian, can you think of any creatures that might be in my library that I would want to search out and give haste? Um, I don't know. There's that Ulamog guy. In standard, yeah, who exiles 20 cards of your library. Okay, he's good. I don't know. Kozlak? 12-12 minutes is good in standard, too, I guess. Yeah. But if you want to look back a little further, those two have a buddy. She goes by the name of Emrakul. Yeah, the 1515 flyer with Annihilator 6. However, it's not cast, so it doesn't get that cool little extra turn ability. Which is fine, you don't need that. But it's still a 1550 flying haste with Annihilator. Annihilator 6. (laughs) Sack 6 permanents. Do you have 6 permanents? You lose. You're probably, if you get to the minus 8 and happen to go for Emrakul, Aeon's Torn. You're probably just winning the game on that spot. Your there opponent is, is probably just going to go scoop. There is another card. Game. There's another card that you can think of. Bladed Colossus. Blightsteel Colossus. Blightsteel Colossus, the 11-11 Trample Infect. Granted, she goes back to your hand. Or the, the Colossus goes back to your hand, but that is another direction that you could take the Nahiri. Now. There's so many cards you can pull up with her. It's funny. It is. Now, here's... There's, I want to do a mini rant. It's about, har- it's about Nahiri, but it's not about the card. The card... We'll talk about the card in a minute. Can I just say the art? Oh, the is art incredible. is amazing. The art is great. This card is great. This card is pretty good. I really, really dislike Wizard's current treatment of Boros Planeswalkers. Go on. Here's why. There are right. two red-white Planeswalkers. They yes. are Ajani Vengeant mm-hmm. and Ahiri the Harbinger. Yes. Now, it's not that they don't do red-white things. They both do things that are red and white. Like, a one-sided Armageddon is totally something that I would expect a red-white card to do is as per Johnny Vengeance Ultimate. Yes. Nahiri's Ultimate definitely feels red-white. Why is it that my red-white Planeswalkers, which is my favorite color pair, are white Planeswalkers who are just angry? <laughs> Why? I had, a, I had a feeling that's where you're going with it. Why? Um, Why can't we just have a Planeswalker who is red-white naturally? Why can't we just have a Boros Planeswalker who is Boros, who that is their identity, that is their thing, that their stick is that they are red-white, and not have white Planeswalkers who are pissed off at one thing or another that show up in our sets? Man, John, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> Johnny Vengeant was pissed off at his, his brother's death, basically yes. at the hands of Nicol Bolas. Nahiri is pissed off at Sorn, presumably based on the flavor text that we've seen so far. Unless Nahiri stays red-white... That Nahiri's color identity is red-white from now until the end of goddamn time. I don't... It's... Uh. There, there, John. There, there. Okay, I, I had to get it off my chest. Is No, I can actually... Let me just tell you. Like, Nahiri herself is awesome. I play her white... Ver, her mono-white version that came... Like, the first time we ever saw her was... The first time we knew her name. Because before then, she was just the Lithomancer. Well, that was just a random generic the Lithomancer when it was talked about old school Zendikar lore. She came in on one of the commander sets as a mono-white planeswalker who was basically did a lot of stuff that reminded people of Stoneforge Mystic. Obviously, if you look at her art, she looks very much like Stoneforge Mystic because Stoneforge Mystic is a core, as is Nahiri. And Nahiri is likely the first Stoneforge Mystic, and in fact, she makes a, she makes a, her original form makes a Stoneforged blade. It's like, hey guys, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Check it out. <laughs> no, but she is currently the baddest lady on the block in the multiverse right now because she is just utterly furious at Soren because of the Eldrazi. Well, we She's don't so really know why. We we have we have ideas, but we don't exactly know why. It's just that Nahiri is just like really mad at people and we're just like, Nahiri, what's up? It's like here, have a Snickers. Everything, but, yeah, every, every, all the signs in the story seem to be pointing towards her being just 
basically it was like, hey, I need help with my plane. The Eldrazi are destroying it. Let's like they needed basically it traces back to Ugin telling them you need Nahiri to fix this to Storm. But then like, nah, that's cool. We got this. We can destroy these Eldrazi on our own. It's like, no, no, no. You need the original people. Get them back. Get the band back together is what Ugin told Jace and them in the last story for the most part. The most and now part. and now the band is pissed at each other. So we'll see how it goes. But as a card, I am slam jamming her into my uh, Canadian Highlander deck because I love it. <laughs> Are you going to put Blightsteel in that deck for Nahiri? I don't think so. It, I'm building a Jeskai Tempo deck. Ah, uh, Tempo. Fair enough. Yeah. Now, I think what she'll like, there's a couple like uh, sort of. Uh, sort of fire and ice and stuff like that. There's some batter skull and other things like that and other decent creatures I could fetch up with her ultimate. Odds are if I play her in that deck, she's probably not going to get ultimated. Yeah, that's I'm fair. I'm probably just going to be plusing her and minusing her to use her uh, rummage and exile and target enchantment artifact or creature because there's going to be a lot of that stuff in a format like Canadian Highlander because that plays stuff like mocks. Yeah. Blow up your mocks, eat it. Basically. Um, so Nahiri does stuff, a lot of things stuff. that red-white decks want. She rummages, she gets rid of things. The really interesting thing for me is that red-white tends to be a very aggressive deck. But Nahiri is not a very aggressive card. So like so like we were looking at, we mentioned those three. So far, all of our Planeswalkers have kind of fit that mold of being able to impact the board right away. You know, she doesn't necessarily fit what you would expect from that based with the exile target artifact create tap creature your opponent has to at least tap have a tap creature for her minus two to even be relevant odds are in standard you might see some enchantments you might see some artifacts they might be mana rocks if you're going to do that but your opponent will have to at least tack with the creature usually you'd expect for like a red white planeswalker you'd get like some sort of like token generator or something that would do kind of like what arlen does of bolting you or something like that yeah it's really interesting because i'm very intrigued to see where nahiri goes because Nahiri, it, like, if Jace is the one that has the most chance to, you know, go up or down, Nahiri is the biggest question mark, in my mind. Yeah, like, Jace could be the one that surprises us the most. Nahiri is the one where it's like, I want to play her. Where Do I have to warp a deck around her? Like, do I play for her ultimate? Am I playing a deck with Nahiri so that I can ultimate her and put something big and scary into play? Or am I just playing her in my red white deck or in my Jeskai control deck as a as a as a permanent that I can get rid of troublesome creatures and I can loot and rummage and get to some of my bigger spells? That's well, the biggest tension with Nahiri. Now, what I like with her though is, say you stick her, plus her to six, rummage, fine. You're getting nice some card selection on turn four, where you might have you know a couple like, say you've just been starting to flood out. And you're like on turn four, you're turn five, you're able to stick her down, you're able to rummage away a land, get a relevant spell. Fine. Next turn, you probably at this point, you probably have something in front of her to protect her. She doesn't have any, like an actual protection besides the exiling thing, but then your opponent can't really attack with their best creature. If it doesn't kill her. Right. You, she, they, their creature has to one shot, they have to one shot Nahiri that turn, or they just, or she just holds back their best creature. And which she's at I six think loyalty, it, which is a lot of loyalty. Like, one thing that we haven't really mentioned is that the amount of loyalty that a Planeswalker has is relevant. The fact that Nahiri goes up to six is relevant. Like, if we look at the other Planeswalkers, Soren starts at six, but he's a six-mana Planeswalker. Jace goes up to six, but he's five mana. Arlen starts at three at four mana, which is roughly where you expect to see most of these Planeswalkers. Nahiri goes up to six on turn four. Yeah. It is she very hard, good. barring a, a swarm of small weenie creatures, that you're going to be able to kill Nahiri immediately. And if you do, you can just be like, fine, I'm not going to exile your little tokens. I'm just going to plus her, plus her up again, which means, oh, wait, she's at eight loyalty, and then she's threatening to go nuclear. Ultimate, yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically nuclear. She's threatening to go ultimate the next turn. Like, she's a four-mana planeswalker that will hit her loyalty by turn seven. Yeah, it is very. She hits it, is very hits it. She hits it three turns after, which is the the fastest rate that you're going to get from these other planeswalkers. Yeah, Nahiri is a very interesting planeswalker. She might see play. She might not see play. There are people who are going to play her in a variety of decks. I'm going to try and find a spot for her in my cube. Which, by the way, if you haven't been following our Twitter, I've been putting up uh, daily packs from my cube, and I think 
in the future we'll be sampling cute, uh, packs from other people's cubes. So we'll see how that will go in the future. And I think I'm going to try and find a spot for Nahiri in my cube because I think she she could be good there. I, when it comes to other formats, be, I know I mentioned Highlander. I really don't know how the slate of four Planeswalkers will fit into established uh, deck archetypes that are out there. Yeah, let's go ahead and There's go the- into where do we think these Planeswalkers are going to show up in these in these formats that are kind of the most popular. For example, Unlimited, right. these are all good. You always play them. You draft around them. You, if you can splash for them, you splash for them. Just play them. If, if not, you just picked a money card. Congratulations, high five. Yeah. Awesome. But when it comes to stuff like looking at Modern, there really isn't a prevalent green-red deck right now. No, no, no. You're, you're mistaken. There's Jund. Well, I said prevalent right now, namely that it's Jund is a fair deck. And right now we have the Eldrazi Menace, which is finally going away, thankfully, in April. We hope. With the band restricting with the band. Well, it's not going to look the same. Nope. It's not going to be as busted as it is right now and just absolutely warping the metagame with like over 40% of decks being played, being in a variant. You either have to play Eldrazi or play a deck that beats Eldrazi. Yeah. So, so decks like Jund just get swallowed up because it's a fair, it's, a, it's like a check and balance deck against what's supposed to be broken decks in the format, but it's Eldrazi is too broken. It just skews too far away from what Jund is able to do because basically I saw a good quote. I forget where it was. Modern has always been Lightning Bolt the format. Lightning Bolt was the defining card of does this creature die to Lightning Bolt? If, if it doesn't, it potentially has modern potential. Your creatures had to be able to either withstand a Lightning Bolt or... You had to protect against Lightning Bolt as removal. Yeah, basically. Arlen has a bolt built in. That's cool. Problem with Eldrazi is they're way too big. Arlen might get into Jund. The thing is that there are people who are play who are Jund players who I've seen on the internet basically be like, this card replaces Huntmaster of the Fells. Now, Huntmaster of the Fells is a, I think he's a 2-2 or a 3-3 whatever. He makes a 2-2 wolf when he comes into play and you gain two life. And he's the same mana cost as Arlen. And he transforms into a 4-4 Trampler that deals 3 damage to a creature or Planeswalker. 2 damage. Trans- or 2 damage when he, or well, two damage when yeah. he transforms. It shocks him. And then when he flips back and forth between the front, the, the day side and the night side, the front and back, he makes wolves and gains life or shoots or shocks things. And they're like, she's better than Huntmaster. She replaces Huntmaster. And For Huntmaster me, wasn't even a main deck card. He was mostly a sideboard. Well, he was like a one or two of in the main deck of some yeah. Jun decks. And I'm like, no. Not, not, the, not the most recent ones, though. Yeah, I'm kind of like, no. And my reasoning is that I think Arlen is not good in aggressive, in, in a format where you're worried about aggression. Because Huntmaster does gain you two life. Now, it's only two life, it's not a lot of life, but it gains you life and it puts two bodies into play and that's relevant. Arlen does have, I, yeah, so what you're, what you're basically getting at, John, is you're saying Arlen has way too much of a setup cost for her to be particularly as relevant as, say, Huntmaster was. Exactly. I, have a, I'm not, a, I won't lie. I would not be surprised at all to sit across the table from a jump player and see them drop an Arlen on the, t- the table. I would not be surprised at all. At my local game store, there is a very a very good player there who his favorite deck to play in Modern is is Jund. And he likes to describe Jund as good cards dot deck. And I was talking to him one day, and he goes, you know what? You know what one of the best cards in Jund is? Kitchen Finks. And I'm just kind of like, that's a green-white hybrid card. He goes, yeah, I know. I still play it in Jund. Because mm-hmm. Jund is is the greediest deck. If you just want to play the good cards, play Jund. Why do you think there's it runs? A re- <laughs> there's a reason why Jund is one of consistently one of the most expensive. It's a two thousand dollar modern deck. Yeah, plain and simple. Yeah, and this guy is um, ex- expeditioning out his deck. Oh, honey. <laughs> and I actually had a really good conversation with him uh, last week about Arlen. And I was like, "Do you think Arlen's better than Huntmaster?" He goes, "I don't know. It depends." And I'm and that's where kind of I'm at. I think in an aggressive format. You want Huntmaster for the life gain and the two bodies. In a slower format where you see more, say, Tron decks or Jeskai control lists or things like that, Arlen might be better because Planeswalkers are historically good against control decks because the control mm-hmm. decks have a hard time answering them. Yeah, unless they have exile effects. Plus, with the new tr- change to double face cards, Arlen, Arlen's backside does not die to Abrupt Decay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, new rule that's implemented in this set is that the back faces of double face cards have the same CMC as their front face. Because before, they were technically zero CMC cards, so you could just flip it and then be like, and it dies to abrupt decay. 
or for example, in the Delver decks, uh, Delver Secrets would die to a Ratchet Bomb set to zero. Correct. Now, now, now it has to die to one. one. Still yeah. not hard to get though. <laughs> no, not not hard at all. But yeah, something like Nihiri. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I could see her in something like American Control. In modern? Nah. No, I don't think so. Like in standard, <laughs> I think I think all these planeswalkers are going to see some play in standard, whether they're good or not. Is going to be wholly is going to be up to the format to dictate. Standard formats are always Sword. decided by what is the removal, what is the best creatures, what are the what are the removal that gets those creatures. And if your and if your planeswalker is a high you know CMC, do you have the way to power it out quickly? Exactly. So Soren's probably not seeing modern play. Soren's pro- no Soren's not seeing modern. Six modern six play. six mana cost. Planeswalkers have not seen modern play, with the exception of the occasional Elspeth. You see, and that is and that is due to recent events because. Now that the control decks know what they're fighting, they can tune their deck to beat those decks. Right. Jace is, you know, just like we said, bland Jace probably won't see it. Uh, Jace is probably going to see the most utility in Commander when you can play him alongside Arcane Laboratory, which is an enchantment that says players can only cast one spell each turn. Oh, yeah. I saw that combo. That's hilarious. He also combos with Rule of Law as well as Eidolon or Rhetoric if you play white. Yeah, so you guys don't remember, those cards are all ones that basically say you can play one card a turn and his ultimate is you counter the first spell they cast each turn so basically you're auto countering everything they play so your opponent's gonna have to win the game without casting spells good which luck is hard. uh other formats do we think any of these guys go into say legacy i I've, i'll admit i'm not as up on legacy as other people are i these seem more expensive than what you would see casting costs for legacy deck yeah. like Usually, usually how it goes is with the various formats is standard you'll see six and five mana cost cards. Modern you'll see four to three as the max. As you go older, you usually see the curve drop by one or two CMC each step you go older. With the exception, you know, like the big things you cheat out on the battlefield. But like your standard, like I'm looking to play this on turn three through through I have three lands that I can tap and play this creature off those three lands. In Legacy, for example, a format-defining card is Show and Tell, which is three mana, because Legacy is a turn three format, ostensibly. Um, whereas Modern is a quote turn four format, where mo- where R and D and Wizards are okay with you killing on turn four consistently in Modern, and sometimes on turn three. Whereas in Legacy, they're fine with you killing on turn three, but only occasionally on turn two if you get really lucky. Yeah, like Legacy, another, another defining card. It's a deck named after the Shardless Agent. Three mana, two two with cascade. Well, also that format is wholly defined by a five mana instant and a one mana instant. Very true. Those cards being force of will and brainstorm, but I don't <laughs> want to get into that. No, but it's just one of those. I just don't think that they have the viability. We mean, I mean, it. Somebody might build a deck that plays one or two of them in the sideboard as value if you're you know looking to get stuff out of your hand. But I just don't think that they're fit for those kind of formats they seem geared towards i think once these hit standard once they get out of standard in i don't have the thing pulled up yet but about 18 months uh, yeah it's 18 months right yeah yeah in 18 months when these rotate out standard you'll probably see more of arlen cord in a jund deck than you will the other guys depending on how the the modern the format changes over the next year or so yeah so this is also very relevant. Um, these cards are going to see play in. Um, However, you, if you play Commander, you will see these cards. You'll see these cards. In, you'll see these cards in Commander. You'll see these cards probably in a Highlander deck because someone's going to be like, "Ooh, this Soren does exactly what I want." Uh, Planeswalkers tend to be worse in multiplayer play because instead of defending against one player, you have to defend against two to three other players. But that's never stopped people before. Yeah, but also, and like, yeah, because that way, if you jam a decent planeswalker, everyone's just like, okay, I'm spending my turn to kill it or tip chip it. You spend your turn to chip it. You spend your turn to chip and kill it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, but okay, by the way, it's your turn again. You just, we just destroyed your planeswalker. Sorry. Basically. But that basically does it for our planeswalker discussion. Um, as we said, we did a poll earlier. The winner by a landslide was Arlen Cord. Second place was Soren, which surprised me. Third place was Nahiri. And last was, well, it's Jace. It's Jace. Obviously. Jace is, people are kind of tired of Jace. There's just the fact that this is the seventh Jace we've seen. 
Now, it's people say of... that. We've also had a lot of Ajani's. We've also had a lot of other cards. But, it, yeah, the fact that they've made him so central to all of these stories is what people are just kind of like, we're Jace Dow. Now, when we say people, I don't want to say everyone, because Jace does have his fans, and mm-hmm. Mark Rosewater continually points to market research showing that Jace is the most popular Planeswalker. Correct. Hands down, it, he's the most popular. He is yeah, also just... the one that is the most, to use a Mark Rosewater term, behated. Yes, now, that's not to say that they can't print Jace Planeswalkers. They're definitely going to. He's the blue member of the Gatewatch. He's going to show up frequently. It's just that people, like the people who we're talking about are the enfranchised players who read the stories online, who play in the competitive events, who play in GPs, who play in Pro Tours, who frequent internet chat rooms and just go, why another Jace? Why another Jace? But for Kinda every like- single one of them, there is a 13-year-old sitting in their room looking at the cards from from the set and going, oh, wow, another Jace. I am so excited. I mean, plus one draw card? Plus one. Those are the best, best three words best. in Magic. Exactly. But I think another thing you can also point with the enfranchised players and people who play tournaments a lot, it's like, give us a different blue Planeswalker so we don't have to legend rule out our own Planeswalker. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird that there's two mono blue planes or three mono blue Planeswalkers if you count Teferi, but we don't know if Teferi's alive or not. And it's Tamio and Jace, and we've only had one Tamio card, and we now have seven Jace cards, and we're just kind of over it. Yeah, I mean, we have seen Tamio in key art of a bunch of different cards she's, now. She's so. in the card art for uh, Avison's Judgment, and she is in the extended art of Anguish Unmaking. So we know she's around. We know that she's going to be a big, a major role player, and we're going to be we're going to be really excited to see what she does or what what she might do in future sets. So kind of call. I'm gonna just guess on a. I'm going out on a limb here that we might get. I mean, also we should note too, we got four planeswalkers this go around in a large set. We did the the norm is three. So because because everyone was thinking, okay, cool, we got Soren. We heard about this Arlen core because when they were doing the spoilers, they're like, oh yeah, LSV is gonna take Soren and Ar on Arlen on the two respective sites. And they're like, yeah, we're getting a Jace, by the way. So when Nahiri dropped, everyone's like, wait, what? Yeah. People are like, are we not getting a Jace? Is it, are we not getting a Jace? And then we got a Jace. And, well, the norm is three Planeswalkers so we, so in a large might, set. We might get three next set. Who I, don't think, I don't think we're seeing three next, next set. I, I think we see two. I'm going to go on a limb and say we see Tamio and another version of our good old friend Liliana. Yeah, Liliana is playing a major role. Innistrad is effectively her home plane now because we've never been, we have not gone back to Dominaria. We might, we might soon, but we're going to probably get a new Lily in Eldritch Moon because she's already in the key art for that set. And a new Tamio would not be, would not be out of the realm of possibility. Well, I mean, a nice way to kind of bring this full circle is the last time we did see Dominaria was the the last set before Planeswalkers were cards. It was time spiral, yeah. So there we go. We'll see. Wrapped it, wrapped it all nice around, mm, right nice. back to the start. Mm, I love it when when a plan comes together. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyways, that's been us. Next week, we'll figure out what we're going to talk about next week. We have we have some ideas. If you have any ideas that you want to kind of shoot our way, you can find us on Twitter at eyes on the mize. We also have a Gmail account that is eyes on the mize at gmail dot com. Ian, where can people find you? People can find me on the Twitters at DixonIJ. That is D-I-X-O-N-I-J. Also, you can find me streaming occasionally on Twitch or in the Twitch chats of other lovely Magic streamers. And it's just simply Dix, D-I-X. And you can find me on Twitter and on Twitch as at JWiley129. A few other things I want to go ahead and plug that are really exciting. This Saturday... Posting this on Friday, so tomorrow at noon Pacific, Loading Ready Run is doing a pre-pre-release on their Twitch stream. That's twitch.tv slash loadingreadyrun with four members of the crew, which are Graham, Kathleen, James, and Cameron, alongside Magic Personalities, Marshall Sutcliffe, that you might know from Limited Resources and Magic Coverage, Numat the Nummy, a.k.a. Kenji Igashira, who is a very famous Magic streamer as well, Athena Huey, who is Elantris on Twitch, and... Uh, who's the last person? It's Jimmy Wong of Command Cast and Rocket Jump Productions, if you're familiar with that sphere like of YouTube. video game high school. Yes, or the or the small production he did with The Professor, which yeah, the, was uh, magic, um, fairy tale, or... magic, whatever. 
Tabletop. Yeah. Tabletop fairy tales. Tabletop, fa- tabletop fables. That's what it is. Tabletop fables where they do We got little... there. We got there. <laughs> we figured it out. Where they do a little, little act- acting out of cute but little yeah, things. I, I will definitely be in the chat watching. That's my someone, Saturday. <laughs> someone's, gonna, someone's going to be building on stream. Yes, that's very true because now this is going to be the sealed pre-release decks. These are the first people outside the walls of Wizards of the Coast that will be playing with these car- these pre-release packs. They're going to get them. They're going to have one person building their deck on camera, which is going to be great. And they're, you're going to get – so. and what, since it's eight people, you're going to have the full seven top matches. eight. You're going to have the seven, seven like matches. a top eight. Yeah, it's, well, I'm saying it's going to be like a top eight. Yeah format and you're seeing every single match and it's going to be awesome i was in so marshall's buckle up, stream. buckle up buckle up for about eight plus hours of magic it's going to be great i was in marshall's stream a few nights ago because i'm on spring break right now so i can stay up late and graham was in the chat and people were like hey graham we should probably have marshall be on stream and it's like graham was like yeah we're probably gonna have marshall build on stream i would yes that's going to be awesome <laughs> so anyways just to reiterate you can find us on our social medias if you just want to hit up the podcast, it's at Eyes on the Mize on Twitter, Gmail at or or Eyes on the Mize at gmail.com. Thank and remember, you. we are on iTunes. We are on iTunes. We're also on Podbean. That is the site that is hosting us for now. Uh, we've received a lot of feedback and a lot of welcoming comments. Thank you for that. We haven't actually had any iTunes comments or, or reviews, so if you have any of those if you have any thoughts you want to put out there in the public sphere on iTunes, go ahead and do that. We might we might thank a few people who do that if you uh, in the future. Yeah. By name even. So, yes, please do. <laughs> All right. So that'll be it for us. You guys have a great day and we will talk to you next time.